American United Federal Credit Union can often help when others won't. They can often approve loans even if you've had trouble being approved in the past. Qualifying for membership is easy. Learn more at amucu.org. Now is the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Amy Stellhorn, founder and CEO of Big Monocle, a full-stack marketing agency out in Silicon Valley. When can I call myself a designer? I'm still a student. Or when can I, you know, it's just like you are just now. Like as soon as you give yourself permission, you're going to be fine. And I think I This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Amy, thanks for making time. Hey, thanks for having me. So a full-stack marketing agency, what, what's an example of some of the stuff you guys do? We do big campaigns end-to-end, end, so starting with the big idea and then the holistic strategy for the campaign, and then we orchestrate everything from... Uh, creating video or working with influencers to the landing page and the, the educational content on that site to the social strategy. Um, you know, so designing, building, strategizing, marketing, kind of everything end to end. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about one of your big multi-billion dollar clients that, that I know you've actually helped people in their company win awards and stuff like that for, yeah. uh, by hiring you. When you think about your strategy for that type of approach. I mean, I feel like over the years, you've taught me things like it doesn't matter as much what's on your website if your website's not where the traffic is. Like you need to get this to the watering holes. And I know sometimes you have to persuade your clients to that kind of thing. But what are some of the other, um, I don't know, kind of key insights that you feel like you've learned by doing, like that you couldn't have just gotten out of a book or that you wouldn't know if you hadn't been doing mm. this kind of work for the last years? Um. You know, to double click on what you just said, we had this really intense lesson early on where we baked a whole campaign strategy. We filmed a video, you know, we spent a bunch of money on a video making this really cool video. And then we were ready to put it up to help launch the campaign. And, you know, in big organizations, there's a lot of goals and there's a lot of different people in charge of different things. And the people who held the keys to the YouTube channel wouldn't put the video on YouTube. Um, they just, I don't know. They just didn't want to. It was a great piece, actually. You're but saying we, there's internal bureaucracy. Issue. Yeah, internal bu bureaucracy where like even if we've had agreements, sometimes it 
some st content will go up somewhere. They might change their goal or, you know, they, you know, oh, the content you have is to consumer and our channel, most of our subscribers are more uh, B2B, so we don't want to put up your content, you know, or whatever it is, there might be, there's a lot of unforeseen things that kind of happen as you're building a campaign. So now I try to look for those holes because if you think that this video is going to be a corner piece of your campaign and you can't put it on, you know, the company's YouTube channel, um, then you've just wasted a lot of money and you're not getting part of the fuel that you thought you were going to get for that campaign. Yeah. You know, I think for a lot of people who don't, who maybe haven't operated in that environment, that just seems crazy. What, what do you mean? The company paid how, how much money to get all this done and then other parts of the company won't put it up? But, yeah. But it is a reality that's faced in those larger organizations. So. Yeah. And so what I learned is, well, how much, you know, how much money are we willing to spend on a video? And then is, is it, should we really spend, you know, 50 or $80,000 to do this great video and then push it through the corporate channel where, you know, they might have a couple million followers, but, you know, maybe they are, maybe they are really B2B. Maybe they're not really the, the subscribers we want to reach. So how can we better spend that money? You know, and we're pretty good at thinking that way and not just going with all the default things like, well, okay, well, we're doing this standard marketing kit and kind of counting on the company's social media channels to do a lot of the work. We now kind of design it without that support. And I think that's just smart because they only have certain tribes. So we, we pretty much like come up with a strategy that doesn't rely on corporate social channels for fuel, because also we want to get as many people to our content as possible. So I, I might take that 50 or 80 and split it up to like two big YouTube influencers or, you know, I don't know, a hundred. So we just want to make sure we're, you know, delivering our content in the best way possible and getting as much reaction as we can. And I never would have learned that if the, you know, if the corporate people with the keys to some of the social accounts just posted everything we gave them. Yeah. You know, I, I do think it's an interesting strategy. I mean, we're going to talk about some of the cool stuff you've done where you, you get a hire Betty White to come make a cool video that goes all over the place. Right. But, um, I think it's interesting how you guys have intentionally gone and found people that have a tribe that maybe have a YouTube following and, and not fallen into the classic thing of, Hey, how much would we have to pay you to put something that your tribe will totally not identify with in front of them? You know, like shot, you know, put, put up our content to your people. Um, talk about the approach of, of engaging people to speak to their audience on your behalf. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to watch very many YouTube videos to know that people love commenting on sponsored videos about how much they hate that it was sponsored, even if it was good. <laughs> so, you know, giving them something that's bad and sponsored is just really not good for for the influencer. So we, and we genuinely want to serve their audience. So the intent is, how can we support you in doing something that you would want to do anyway and that your audience would really enjoy and if there's a win-win there then it'll be a good fit between us or you know our client and the influencer they want to hire and then we give them a lot of um leeway to figure out well sometimes we do it depends on what we're doing sometimes we actually come up with the idea and film it for them and sometimes we just let them completely do their thing but always in mind 
you know, being mindful of their, who their audience is and what they enjoy and what they like. Yeah. I think that, um, it's not something that I've seen a, a ton of other places where the times when you guys will give complete faith over to, to this YouTube personality and say, Hey, listen, here's the point. We recognize you have a brain too. We're not the only smart people in the room. How do you think this is going to go best with your audience? Whether it's like the guy doing the magic <laughs> trick about is your password, you know, is your phone password locked and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And it mm -hmm. fits right in with his whole channel, but, um, but was obviously a, a huge boost for what you guys were working on. Um, and I know you do stuff all over. You've, you've done startups and app companies and healthcare and tech and stuff. But um, one that you did recently was kind of fun. Betty White. T talk about that. Oh, my gosh. So cool. And um, we invented World Password Day back in 2012. And the goal of World Password Day was just to talk with people about um, good password habits. Like, uh, you wouldn't believe how bad, how bad off most most of us really are we're using passwords using the, like the 10,000 weakest passwords so those those are out on list that hackers use and they run that any kitty can run a script like that and try to crack your password um you know we're using things across sites so if there's a breach on one site and you've used that same username password on another site you're really in trouble um and so we, we started our work back then trying to get people to realize how strong their password is or how weak it is. And so we took a we took a game to Flatiron Plaza in New York City and we challenged New York to a password strength contest. So we had a password grader. So you would type your password in and it would give you um, the length of time it would take to crack it. Anything from, you know, I don't know, millions of milliseconds to... Uh, you know, days or hours or years or whatever it might be. And we had a high striker. So if you had a really weak password, you got a really small hammer to play the game. If you had a really strong password, you got a really big hammer. And then we had a really cool prize. We had um, like a fancy laptop and some other stuff. And um, what was really amazing about that, and it was our intent from the beginning, is to give people a personal experience with their password. And we filmed this, so there's a video online about it. But what people walked away saying is, like, I'm going to go home right now and change my password. Like, I, we finally gave them a reason. They realized how weak or how strong. And fast forwarding to today, we uh, we wanted to talk to people about multi-factor authentication. And if you're not using uh, multi-factor authentication, also called MFA, you should. Anybody listening to this needs to turn this on. And there's... You know, you can turn it on at the app level. So like Facebook or Google, you can turn on um, two-factor authentication or multi-factor. And then we actually have a client called TrueKey that has a really cool app um, that lets you log into sites with your face or your fingerprint um, super easily. So what that means is if somebody has your fingerprint or your path, or sorry, your, your username and your password, they can't log in if they don't have also that second factor. So, you know, in a benign situation, my roommate wants to log into Facebook and post something as me just as a prank. Well, they can't if I have two-factor authentication turned on because my phone is going to bing and be like, you know, do you want to sign into this? And it's no effort on my part. I just look at it or tap it. But if I don't want that to happen, I just say no. I can deny it at that level. So it's pretty awesome. And we wanted people to know more about multi-factor authentication. And because it's 
most people don't know what it means, we thought what better way than to get a celebrity to give people a pep talk about this. So we hired Betty White, which is so cool. I actually have a photo with her and it's one of my favorite things. She also wore my sunglasses um, <laughs> in one of the scenes. But uh, Well, we should comment on that because your sunglass <laughs> collection is not like everybody else's sunglass collection. Yeah, this is true. a this is a this is an intense this is an intense habit, this sunglass collection. I know. I have an addiction. I, I actually have an eyewear and sunglass addiction. So I have over forty pairs of, of eyeglasses. Um I have a very mild prescription, so probably ten of those are prescription and the rest are fake. But uh yeah, she wore a pretty wild, super round kind of um, uh, Willy Wonka's, you know, Johnny Depp, Willy Wonka pair of sunglasses. Um, but we got her to explain it to people. And how fun is that? Who doesn't want to watch Betty White talk about multifactor authentication? Well, this kills me because <laughs> like, I, I feel like, I don't know. I think, you know, as, as uh, I've watched you start this business right from the ground up, and having such loyal customers who are coming to you quarter after quarter with more and more budget because you're actually hitting their goals for them. Um, to me, I think like a lot of that comes from the fact that you really actually do care about their problems. <laughs> like, you, you know, you've said the words multi-factor authentication so many times in like the last <laughs> two minutes, right? <laughs> but and and but what's funny is that you don't get all the way sucked into it because they obviously get blinders on about their corporate priority and i feel like you guys you know besides that you're so funny they're like wearing dragon costumes to work and like your <laughs> your office sometimes looks more like a dorm room like excitement right um yeah but uh like right on your ads you're saying now, multi-factor authentication sounds really boring, right? So, and then you bring something really wild and, you know, as funny as Betty White or whatever to make it not boring and to engage and to get busy people to stop and pay attention. And and that thing spread like crazy, didn't it, right off the bat? It did, yeah. It, it went really big the first day. I mean, having Betty White talk about stuff is awesome in the first place. And, uh, you know, we... They're just a, a little bit racy, those videos. They're really funny. Like, we had her talk about her online dating life and a few other things. So, Or, you know, rather, she doesn't admit to online dating. <laughs> really fun. And I think, you know, boring blends in, and especially in the security marketing space. And we are, we're, like, we're so into security at Big Monocle. We, we actually all just got back from DEF CON while we were there. You know, some just going for, for pleasure, some for work. And, um, you know, we met with, some of the like the seriously coolest people out there right now um out on the cutting edge and and you wouldn't believe the stories from that like it's so exciting and it's so cool and it's also so important i mean obama made a, a big op-ed in i think the wall street journal about how he would like americans to use two-factor authentication and be stronger and be more secure like this is it's like national security important that we're all stepping it up so anyway but we can make that fun and most people don't i, I bet most yeah. content you've ever engaged you know encountered on two-factor authentication is not funny not definitely not <laughs> no. something you would share on facebook no and like you know i love that like the logo is underpants you know that you need to get changed you need to be changing the password often on this kind of yeah. stuff right um well listen uh, a lot of our listeners over time have commented on how 
you know, they like to hear that you're working with movie stars and multi-billion dollar companies from the Fortune 100, but they don't always relate to the end of the story. And they like to hear how you got there and, and maybe not feel alone when they feel like they're struggling and they don't know what to do next. Um, and you, you are actually doing public speaking on this kind of stuff about building companies and stuff. Um, I've got these 17 points from your upcoming talk. Let's, let's steal some of these and, and talk about like what it's like to drive fast on gravel and feel like the car is all over the place and be scared and do it anyways. And that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, let's start with um, this idea of embrace your role as CEO. You've chosen to play a different game. Yeah. Tell me about why, why this is something you think is worth bringing up. I think this is, this is possibly um, the, the number one thing you can, you can walk away with if, if you are trying to build a company from the ground up. And um, I, for these listeners, I'm not just somebody you recently met. Actually, Jess has advised me for the last several years and, and from the very beginning of starting Big Monocle. And um, I remember we were, you you came out to New York. We were out there doing a shoot and I wanted you to do a, a little workshop with my team because we were all there. And we were walking, we, were, we actually were going to hold this really cool meeting on those neat rocks in Central Park on the, you know, right up against um, the, I guess it would be the south end of the park. And we're walking there from our hotel and I'm talking to you and I'm, I'm like basically asking for permission. Like, you know, I don't know when I can feel comfortable calling myself a CEO. And uh, it was, we just had the best conversation because you taught me a lesson in self-love and also in you just gave me permission and confidence to do it and call myself this. And I know, I know a lot of people don't struggle with that. They'll, you know, set up an, a little, they'll, you know, uh, file the paperwork for a name for a company and call themselves a CEO and not feel insecure about that. But I was coming from a design background. I'd never had a business class. I was really like waiting until I had earned my stripes to call myself that. And or even to feel comfortable calling myself that. And, and you just said, Amy, you've chosen to play a different game. And whether you're ready or not, like, this is the job you have. And you can't ignore it just because you're unprepared to play it. Yeah, I didn't say you were a good CEO, right? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not. Yeah, but just that I am like the minute I chose to play this game, the minute I chose to be that I was that and I didn't have to earn it. And I didn't need to wait for anyone else to give me permission. And there were no boxes I needed to check first in order to be that. I just am that like I decided to be that. And I think that's amazing. I actually I moderate a panel in San Francisco for um, AIGA and it's a panel. Um, and for people that, who don't know what that is, what's what's AIGA? Um, so it doesn't, it's a professional organization for designer, designers in the U.S. and actually now kind of going around the world. And so there's, you know, headquarters in New York and there's chapters in every major city. Isn't it like a hundred years old though? Isn't it like the biggest one in the world? Oh yeah. hundred and, uh, I should know this. I think we literally just had 150th birthday. There's probably a lot of people shaking their heads at me right now. Um, I should know that better. I only have certain, you know, information I need at my fingertips <laughs> when I need it. 
<laughs> but uh, Rick Byrne, this amazing designer in the city, um, curates the panel, and we talk about work-life stuff and um, or work career path stuff. And this came up in a talk we were doing uh, about building a company, and somebody shared, and it was the best story ever, and I wish I could give her credit. Um, I can see her face. But she had done an internship um, as a photographer and was on a bus in an Africa or something, sitting next to a literal National Geographic photographer, like a big deal photographer, and was feeling insecure about being a photographer. I think she had just graduated and she's like, yeah, so when did you feel comfortable calling yourself a photographer, like a legit one? And he said, this is like a big deal photographer. He's like, well, I bought a camera and a printer. And then I went home and I printed a business card that said photographer on it. <laughs> That's it. Like, <laughs> you don't need permission from anyone else. This is, this is an interesting subject, though, because um, we all have these different struggles, right? Like, I, you know, I think about the, the different organizations that, you know, our consulting firm is working with right now, right? And, like, if I was going to make a massive overgeneralization, um, especially at the the top level that, you know, the CEO level or the founder level, um, I find with when it's male that the teeter totter a lot of times is too high and that, you know, dudes, when we get all excited about the future, we, we get maybe like overly married to our idea too early as like mass overgeneralization here. And like, I find my questions are along the lines of what other possible futures could happen? Like what, what if, you know, Maybe that maybe that will be the future, but you know let let's let's talk about potential potholes. Let's plan, you know, hope for the best, plan for the worst, you know, kind of stuff. And with a lot of the female founder CEOs, um, I find a lot like as a generalization that it's like the teeter totters too low, and there's this um, significant concern of am I a fake and do I really qualify and um, and it's like kind of a plaguing thing. And uh, it's interesting um, how much productivity it eats up to sit and worry about ourselves, um, whether it's, you know, dudes convincing ourselves that we've conquered the world already in our mind, you know, and basking in our future glory <laughs> or or this situation that you're talking about right there of the like, do I have permission to do this? And obviously everyone struggles with all sorts of problems, but, um, do you think, you know, I'm thinking about friends of ours, you know, you and I, we recently went on the NPR radio station with Lindsay Hadley, you know, one of the other, uh, shows that we've had earlier. And the three of us were talking about, you know, different approaches and things, but tell me what you feel like business is different for you once you've embraced it. Cause I, I've certainly seen that with Lindsay where she, like when she started to own it more, Holy cow, she got so much done at work because she wasn't using up time worried about whether she was allowed to be at the meeting. She was just at the meeting getting it done. Yeah. You know, for me, it was that moment in Central Park that everything snapped. Like suddenly I had permission to do it. And at the same time, realizing that I didn't need that permission. But by saying, hey, you you don't get to ignore this just because you're not ready. Like you don't, you don't have time to go to business school and like do all these other things. Like you are a CEO now because that's what you chose. And that just 
that gave me permission and that gave me confidence. And, and now when other people feel like, when can I call myself a designer? I'm still a student or when can I, you know, it's just like you are just now, like as soon as you give yourself permission, you're going to be fine. And I think I, the shifts that I made were just being more confident in my decisions. Um, I hadn't read a book about everything that I'm making a decision about and I had no experience doing some of it, but that's really, I think, you know, number four on my, on my 17 point yeah, yeah, yeah. building a business from the ground up um, is like to be kind to yourself because, and not, I think, I think male CEOs struggle with this too. Anytime I've had a close conversation with somebody, um, we're all pretty self-aware. Most of us are fairly self-aware and, or at least self-critical, right? Yeah. When you, when you're building something from the ground up, you're doing things that you've never done before. You're not doing, you know, I have my 10,000 hours in graphic design and marketing, like no big deal like that. I've been doing forever in a lot of this stuff I'm doing as a CEO. It's the first time I've done it. It's the first time I've, you know, had to hire somebody or fire somebody, or it's the first time I've had to make decisions about how many locations we're going to have and where, and what size we want to grow to and what kinds of work we want. And, you know, it's, it's all different stuff and it's all hard stuff and it's painful. And I think in my first few years, I had some really depressing moments where things were good, but they were hard. And I was being very self-critical about my abilities in those situations. And there's no need for that. Like, I don't know why I did. It took me a while to let myself off the hook. Like you said, like I haven't been a CEO for 30 years. Like I've been a CEO for several years and there's only so many things I have. There's some things I have no experience with. There's some things I have book knowledge of. And now I have some things that I have real knowledge of that I didn't before. But it's <laughs> painful. I mean, it's from, if you, if you ever like find yourself shutting down as somebody who's starting a company, it's usually like, oh, you need to make that next hire you got all these people you're trying to decide from and the salaries are big and you're kind of scared. And I don't know, it just gets really painful. And I think yeah. knowing that you're a human being is, and that, and that it's okay that you don't know the answer like goes a long way. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm thinking about stuff you're talking about and, and I'm actually thinking about a completely different point. I think my wife is one of your biggest fans and not just from like, all of us crashing in hotel rooms together, trying to go to one of Lindsay's non, non big nonprofit concerts. Oh my gosh. And business crush on Lindsay Hadley. If, <laughs> if you haven't listened to her episode with Jess, she's, she is seriously one of the coolest. But um, I think, uh, I think one of the things that both my wife and I admire the most about you is courage. Like, even though you're scared, your willingness to like take that first step into the darkness. Um, I, I have so many people that, um, have, you know, they find out I've done something or I built the investment fund or I have done the management consulting thing, whatever. And they, they want to come get advice. Um, and they kind of get stuck in this endless, um, well, it's not quite good time right now, but, but I'm going to do this at some point and I'm, you know, I'm getting ready. I'm getting, I'm doing my research. I'm, I'm thinking about this. And then they end up thinking about it for the weeks turn into months and then the months turn into years. And like years later, they'll come ask me almost the same question as years before. And they just haven't done anything yet because they've just, mm -hmm. they've been getting ready. And mm -hmm. I think that you really set the example for like, wow, 
I, you know, logically, I think we're good enough. I really don't feel good enough, but we're going to do it anyways. And mm-hmm. just like <laughs> take like the Indiana Jones step out into the into the invisible uh, bridge. Right. Yeah. Um, where do you think that comes from or, or how do you think you got good at being able to do that repeatedly? Um, I don't know, Jess. I, I think I was I was born ready a little bit. And that's not very helpful to people who weren't, but, um, I just, I've repeatedly done this when I was 19 years old. I just drove out to San Francisco on a Sunday and on Monday I hit the pavement and started interviewing for jobs. And by Wednesday I had four job offers. It was also the height of the dot-com, but I, I mean, I think you'd be surprised how the world opens up to help you, uh, you know, just to help you do what you want to do is when you're putting it out there. Um, and it's, I think I surprise myself all the time and I try to look back on those moments and trust myself more, um, more and more. I do think it doesn't ever get easy though. And that's why they say an idea is worthless. Like just cause you thought something up, it's like the people who actually do it that, that succeed. And, and, you know, <laughs> if you're trying to figure out how to get funding for your company, entrepreneur or venture capitalists are looking for people who execute and people who actually do things not for the best idea. Yeah. And that's why I think failure sometimes is even a badge of honor um, because you, you tried something and you learned something and you're out there doing things. And I, I I mean, it's not on my 17 point list, but I would say I should add it, you know, make a small bet for those who are like thinking about something. Should I do this? Like, should I start this new social network? This, I don't know, whatever big thing, you know, do something small, like, prototype the idea and do some user testing or, you know, literally on paper or do some user testing in terms of talking to people and surveying things. Like I try to make it a little less intimidating by placing a small bet or trying a small thing and seeing if it gives me momentum. You know, I do think kind of like the analogy of there's a lot of people trying to steer a parked car, right? And they just want to make sure that it's all going to work out and there's enough green lights ahead of them. And then they're going to turn the key on, you know, and turn the ignition. And, you know, think about like how many crazy mistakes you've made, how many really dumb things I've done. Right. Um, But the nature of being in motion uh, allows you to correct where if you're stagnant, there's no way to get the vehicle pointed another direction with with any kind of ease. Right. Um. But you have also, like, you've brought a level of humility of even when you're landing multi-billion dollar clients, actively seeking for different advisors. I I know this is on your list somewhere. Oh, number five, surround yourself with support. Like, mm-hmm. you, uh, you have also been a little bit unafraid to say, I probably should know this, but I don't know this. Can you give me some advice? And yeah. <laughs> And you've got, you know, you've got like this little, you've got this little collection of of experts that I, <laughs> that I know that you call for, for these different things. Um, talk about, talk about what that's done for you to have collected these advisors. Yeah. It, oh man. And that's like the best thing you can do. Surround yourself with advisors and support. And often the people you're talking to, one of the reasons I like talking to you, Jess, is you've actually started several companies and you've had you know, varying degrees of success with those. So you can say, Hey, well, I can tell you what happened to me, or I can tell you what I, what I know. Yeah. I can tell you what not that. to do. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do what you I know, did. You learned it the hard way. Yeah. Like, you know, it's cause 
because I'm like on the verge of making the same decision that you made maybe in, you know, five years ago. So I can learn from somebody who's done something already. Um, having advisors also is like, you know how beach balls have four colors, and mm -hmm. red, green, blue, whatever. And if you're looking at the ball from one angle and it's not like the tip where you see all four colors, you might think that the ball is yellow and blue and the advisor can actually help you turn that ball and say, well, it's actually yellow, blue, red, and white. And just instantly give you a perspective that you haven't been able to gain on your own. Mm. Especially if you're really like, close to it, right? Yeah. So that's helpful. So like learning from their experience, um, uh, like seeing another perspective, trying on ideas. I like that a lot. So sometimes, I'll, you know, I'll talk to a colleague, I'll talk to a friend, I'll talk to my husband, I'll talk to you, I'll talk to my other coach. And everyone will kind of have a different idea for me. And it's kind of nice to try on a bunch of ideas quickly and be like, oh, yeah, I could do that. And then make the and somebody make, else will be like, well, have you thought about this? Make the best yeah, guess that's like, right oh, for you. That's nice. And usually I'm talking to somebody, I'm like, yeah, I can totally see it from that perspective. And then talking to someone else, they have a different perspective. So it just enables me to try on ideas really quickly and see what feels like the right thing for me in my situation. And often it's things I hadn't thought of yet. So I like that. Um, it's also, I think when you have, I think everyone should have like a business coach and kind of a personal coach. Um, I like what, or a therapist, you know, I like what, what my time with, with you, Jess is, you know, we talk business, but we also talk about um, interpersonal stuff, me and my colleague, me and my husband, me and, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but I think I, I often end up you know, mixing it all together and realizing that when I have my regular call, sometimes I'll think, oh, I don't know what I'm going to talk about today. And if I just start like talking about the thing that I've been like dwelling on, I realize, oh, that's like, I thought that wasn't a big problem and something I should cover in a session. But actually it was such a super big deal. And I'm really glad I talked about it with hmm. somebody, you know? Um, yeah. I, that's great. I think, uh, Actually, I think that's a good place to stop for today. Let's uh, let's let's you stop. Hated what I said. No, no, I actually <laughs> want to continue it. Um, I know. <laughs> you're so funny. Here goes his self-critical part. <laughs> right there, I love it. Okay, oh, let's, let's do this. Let's cut this off. Interview. <laughs> right? Okay, this is part one. We're very professional people. Uh, thanks for tuning in to part one with Amy Stellhorn. Make sure to tune into our next episode. Catch part two, um, where. Uh, we're going to keep talking some more. <laughs> items, items six and seven. <laughs> yeah. In order. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Now is the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.